This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Moorhead team, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest in, on here, Brian Bolio, who is the CEO and Chief Economist of ITR Economics, which is the oldest economics firm in North America. And he was also a speaker at the recent BP conference here in New Orleans. Hey, Brian, how are you? Doing well, Jordan. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on here today. I enjoyed your speech so much at the Bigger Pockets conference. I was actually right up there in the front row. So I was able to pay attention. I really, really, really enjoyed it so much that I wanted to have you on to speak to all our listeners. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So, real quick, Brian, who are you and how are you involved with real estate investing? I am an I am an economist that I feel like I was born to be an economist. So we look at, you know, all the macroeconomic trends and what they mean for different, more microeconomic uh, events. But we look mm -hmm. at not only just interest rates and inflation, but uh, fiscal policy, monetary policy, demographics, uh, how well balanced the local economy is, all of which goes into everything from real estate investing to, I mean, companies will come to us and say, we're thinking about expanding these are five potential sites what do you think about these five sites so you know that you get into a whole lot of details uh, depending on the needs and i, I gotta tell you that uh, the dallas austin area has been you know that the triangle has really been my um my go-to place for about the last five six years uh, as a matter of fact i'm just i'm a fan of what's going on down there yeah me too i love it um so you've been doing this for a few years too, right? You started in 1987. Uh, forgive me, I'm not too familiar. The savings and loan crisis was right around there, right? Oh yeah, well, I was with uh, ITR during the uh, SNL crisis, and um, you know, I've seen a lot of different things come and go, cycles come and go, calamities, uh, the housing bust, obviously, um, tied to the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. uh, the earlier smaller bus that happened uh, in the early 1980s. I mean, it's yeah. been there, done that. Pretty much bought all those T-shirts. Yeah, and we'll absolutely dive into more of that here in the future. I have some questions about uh, housing busts and where you think we're headed. Um, but real quick, you said you're, you're real familiar with the Texas Triangle. Uh, you guys have been focusing real heavily on it. Of course, Lots of companies, lots of people probably come to you and ask, hey, should we move here or should we move our business here? Um, clearly, you've been saying yes with all the companies <laughs> popping in here. <laughs> but real quickly, why should somewhere someone consider investing or moving their business to somewhere like Austin? Well, beyond the... Uh just the basics of the tax environment that Texas offers. Yeah, it's 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 a wonderful demographic play, uh, not only in terms of the sheer number of people moving in, 
but how young the people are. Um, it's a really good educational system because it's Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and a sign of that is, and, and I'm sure this is related to a question down the road, but in Austin, you look at the area employment, it's up 3.8% from pre-COVID. Most of the country is still trying to fill the gap from pre-COVID, but you, you folks are already running above where you were before COVID. I mean, that's, that's a really good indication of how strong the market is, how quickly you rebounded. When I, I looked at how Austin did during the Great Recession of 2008-2009, um, and it really stretched into 2011 in the real estate market, uh, but you that market held up really well compared to most other markets. And again, it's a, it points to the resiliency and the demographics and the economic character uh, of the area. So it's a yeah. pretty easy call for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, back to the resiliency of Austin, um, I, a real specific question. I saw an article the other day where, you know, people send me stuff all the time. They know I run a real estate team here in Austin. I invest in real estate here in Austin. So I get articles sent to me all the time. I had one sent to me that that showed that Austin was the city that was the most likely to be in the bubble out of any other city. I have trouble seeing that when I see companies like Tesla moving here, Samsung moving here, uh, Oracle moving their HQ here, all these big players moving in, and then you drive by downtown, there's skyscrapers popping up everywhere. It's hard to expect that the home price appreciation is putting us into a bubble. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you could be in a bubble, but what you're describing, and what I think is true also is that you're in the earlier stages of the bubble. Mm-hmm. Right? The COVID really, and all the free money that was being handed out by the government, just started this whole train rolling, right? Um, but just because you are in a bubble doesn't mean that you're near nearer the end of the bubble than you are at the beginning of the bubble. And all the things that you just talked about point to you're, you're not even close to the end of that bubble yet. You know when I, I'll know when Austin is getting nearer the end of the bubble is when I see it the bubble collapsing in Boston and Chicago and New York uh, because they're just inherently weaker areas than, than Austin is, right? Mm-hmm. So when they start seeing some deflation of prices, then we'll get worried about it. But my canaries that I just mentioned, they're still doing well. So <laughs> why would I worry about uh, Austin? And when we look at our long-term forecasts for inflation and interest rates, um, I just have a hard time worrying about an imminent bubble bursting. I understand prices are up and they came up very, very fast because of all that COVID money, but that doesn't mean this train's about to end. Um, we don't even see the next train station yet. Sure. And I think, you know, personally, the things I see, are, yeah, there was all this free money, but there's also all of these people relocating to Austin because they're saying, hey, I'm tired of paying these California taxes or it's too cold in New York. and I don't want to live up there anymore. You know, I want to live somewhere where it's fun and exciting and I can buy a house. So all of that still filters into Austin. A median home price in the 500,000s doesn't scare somebody from New York that's paying $2 million for a box in the sky. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and at that $580,000, I mean, it's up still 33% from the same quarter one year ago. So I think we passed the peak in terms of the year-over-year percent jump. Mm-hmm. 
But that doesn't mean the data trend isn't going to continue to rise. It just means it's going to rise on a year-over-year basis at a more normal level. And I think that's going to calm some people's fears when they see that we're not getting these crazy double-digit numbers anymore. It's slowing down to more normal, lower double-digit or high single-digit numbers in years forward. And that'll be a good thing. Um, you know, you can't keep growing at 33% every year because that, that is not sustainable, obviously, even with all the factors that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's not a healthy market. And, you know, I, I tell people that same thing. I pay very close attention to the real estate market statistics that come out from the Board of Realtors every month, of course, being a realtor. But, you know, even if we end up with 11 or 12% home price appreciation, and you're paying down your mortgage and you're saving money on taxes, that's amazing. Yeah, you think? (laughs) I mean, where else? And and you and I haven't talked about this, but we see uh, problems for the stock market in the second half of this decade. You heard me talk about that at the uh, Bigger Pockets event. And that makes real estate an even better play even though there's going to be some interest rate pressure in the second half of this decade. So if you can get 11, 10, 12% out of your home when the stock market is going sideways, I mean, it's it's a dream investment. Um, it's, it's one of those things that if, if people listening to this aren't already overweighted in real estate investments, period, uh, then they really need to think about how they are going to be increasing their real estate weight in their entire wealth portfolio. Mm-hmm. Because real estate is going to become an even more important part of growing your wealth between now and the end of the decade. And I think Austin's a great way to do it. Absolutely. So real quick, you mentioned a few times in the last couple of minutes, inflation and interest rates. Uh, what is inflation and how's it going to affect us in, let's say, the next decade? And where do you see interest rates going You know, in the next decade? Of course, we don't know what's going to happen next year. Maybe you do. I, I don't really claim to know. But what is inflation? How is it going to affect us as real estate investors? Well, inflation, at, at its simplest, is when the price of the same goods that's bought last week costs more this week, and it's going to cost more next week, whatever that good happens to be or service happens to be. Um, it generally uh, is derived by demand outpacing supply. So you're seeing labor price inflation, for instance, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was energy price inflation, but that has since come back down, especially over the last week. Uh, I think for me, the more intriguing question is, what are the sources of inflation? Because inflation stems from four different avenues, if you will. And when those four avenues come into alignment, all pushing on that inflation, that's when you're going to start getting heavier and heavier rates, higher and higher rates of inflation. And we're still, and I know the CPI is high right now, but the, I look at the bond market every day, Jordan, and the bond market is telling me, don't worry about today's CPI. Looking out 18 months, they're not concerned about the CPI rate doing anything onerous or damaging to the economy. Um, the long bond, in fact, has come down about 20 basis points over the last two weeks. So they're saying chill on inflation. Don't, don't worry about it right now. Mm-hmm. And that's good news in terms of those interest rates you talked about. You know, I, I don't like saying it, the mortgage rate's going to be X next year because that's a local market condition, et cetera. The, the, 
the relevant point for people like me is what's the delta likely to be in those mortgage interest rates. If you get a 200 to 300 point swing in interest rates, no matter what the interest rate is measuring for mortgages, long-term bond yield, credit cards, doesn't really matter. That's when you see a change in consumer behavior. Okay. And you'll see it starts to have a deleterious impact on even high-flying markets like Austin. It will really slow things down. That isn't likely to happen. That big of a swing isn't likely to happen until no sooner than 2025, probably more like 2027. So we have a really good run ahead of us Mm -hmm. still without worrying about this inflation interest rate boogeyman coming along and really clipping our wings. Yeah, and uh, I think for people listening, understanding that right now interest rates are historically low. I just locked in, I closed on another property last month in Austin, a 2.5% interest rate, which is almost free money. It is free money for 30 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's but here 2.5 when the rate of inflation is going to be running on average well above that, right? Mm -hmm. So, in terms of real interest rate, which is what nerds like me look at, you got free money, you're getting paid to uh, take out that loan, and you throw on some capital appreciation on top of that. And, um, exactly the right move to be making. The the thing to be careful about is come the end of the decade, and I don't know too how much I talked about this at the conference, um, you gotta be very careful with the cash flow of the property that you own if it's investment property. You really need that cash flow to be rock solid, positive. Um, and if it's a multifamily unit, you need to figure that there's maybe some increased vacancies uh, because of business cycle issues. Um, but if you can get a, the effective rate of return that you need, 2.5% certainly helps in terms mm-hmm. of the carrying cost of this property. I like it. I like it all day long. Yeah. So, you know, real quick, I know you talked a little bit about this here at the conference. I wanted to dive into it a little more. You talked a lot about, hey, at the end of the decade, we see that some sort of economic shift is going to happen. How do we hedge our bets against it? Maybe it doesn't happen at the end of the decade. Maybe it's in 10 years. Maybe it's in 15 years. We we don't know yet. But, you know, you guys, you seem pretty sure towards the end of the decade, we might run into some trouble. How do we hedge our bets against that as real estate investors? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. By being very confident in your ability to generate free cash mm. from these investments. And if you're not generating that free cash, really come 2030, 2031, if it goes as we think it's going to, Jordan, um, that'd be a good time to liquidate because we think this round of inflation that we're heading toward will be followed by some, by some deflation. Mm. So 
unless you have, and you're young enough, you could have a 30-year horizon. So it really doesn't matter to you, right? But if you're in your 40s or your 50s, 10 years from now, that is going to matter to you. So you got to look at the age, you got to look at your risk factors, and you got to look at the free cash flow and decide, do I really want to hold this period for what may be a really choppy five to 10-year period going forward, where it's going to be relatively illiquid? Uh, if I want to make sure my liquidity is there, then you protect yourself by disposing of some of the higher risk assets. Okay. So, you know, really your advice is just make sure you've got solid cash flow moving forward. If you have a long-term hold, if not, maybe think about getting rid of them in the next five to eight years, five to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more on heading toward that eight to 10 years. Really, um, at ITR Economics, we see 2026 as being a year of turmoil that will impact the markets, including the real estate markets. <clears throat> and it's going to make some people quite nervous and they'll think the sky is falling. And it really isn't at that time. It, um, there'll be another round of buying opportunities, is what will happen toward the end of 2026, we think. Um, so that's not the real damaging part, 26. Plus or minus, uh, it really is further out. So I'd go with that eight to 10 year horizon. And do you mind if I ask why 2026 and eight to 10 years from now? What do you see that has you a little bit worried about that time frame? In 2025, we think the Federal Reserve is starting to ramp up interest rates, mm -hmm. and that has a, a chilling effect on not only the real estate market, if it's egregious enough, but on the economy in general. And at the same time, we think it's normal business cycle activity is going to just cycle from rise to decline. And while interest rates will certainly play a part of that, I also suspect that ongoing deficit spending, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about Republicans or Democrats, the deficit spending is there. That pushes, uh, puts pressure on the credit markets in general and the US dollar in particular. So watch the US dollar. I know it's holding in there okay right now, but if it starts to weaken more noticeably, you know, 24, 25, that'll be a nice harbinger of what you can expect in 26. Uh, for our real estate markets. Other factors will simply be, um, I expect that we're going to get another round of tariffs going on in the future that is going to further restrict international trade. And that isn't, those sort of tariffs always put a shutter into the economy. And normally the Federal Reserve would be able to drop interest rates, but I already told you, we think interest rates are likely going to be going up. And that's because we see 26 as a period of stagflation. The economy is stagnating when the Fed would normally lower interest rates to help get things going. But inflation is still going to be stuck at too high of a level for the Fed to come to the rescue. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be caught fighting an inflation battle while the rest of us have to go through a, a slowdown in the economy that um, probably is going to be more acutely felt in some investment assets uh, than others. And I think real estate may be one of those. But let's bring it back home, Jordan. Mm -hmm. The impact for Chicago in 2026, let's say, or 2032 is going to be much more profound than what we're going to feel in Austin, right? Or Dallas. I mean, 
you know, I talk in macroeconomic terms, but it all, with real estate, it all comes back down to the local market. And the local market for Austin is head and shoulders above uh, so many other markets out there for all the yeah. reasons that you just listed. I mean, business people are voting with their treasuries on, on that market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love that stuff. So I, I pay attention to, I don't do too much. I watch Bloomberg every morning because it's free on my TV. I've got a Samsung TV. I've got Bloomberg for free on Samsung TV. And I'm interested in economics. So I watch Bloomberg. But they go on and on about tapering ending. And I think a lot of people are going to hear, hey, they're going to start winding down tapering. And that will push mortgage interest rates up because they're buying a lot of mortgage-backed securities. Um, what do you have to say about that? And when do you think that might happen? I, well, I, they're already tapering. Um, and we're not seeing those mortgage rates move up because it isn't, they're not cutting it off. They are really just tapering back mm -hmm. at this time. And and the I don't I don't watch Bloomberg's, so I don't know what they're saying, so I can't comment on Bloomberg's yeah. position. What I find is that so many people think economics is uh, like instant gratification for good or bad you do this then that's going to happen well it may be you do this and that's going to happen but there's a two-year lag in between those two things because it has to go through so many other parts of the economy before you get to the end result you may be looking for so yeah they're tapering today um we're not seeing anything particularly onerous come from that but if they continue to taper then you'll probably start seeing the mortgage rates go up in 2024, maybe even in 2023. But go back to what I said before, without a 300 basis point swing in those rates, mm -hmm. you're not going to see the consumer get turned off. In fact, when the rates start going up, you tend to see consumers go, I better get into this market before they go even higher, right? Uh, so it's not an instant shutdown in uh, the market at, at all. Yeah, and I think people misunderstand how real estate markets shift because they're used to watching the stock price go up and down on the mm. TV screen. Um, it absolutely is. This happens today. And then six months, a year, two years later, that happens mostly because of how residential real estate value. And this is just my opinion, of course. Um, if I sell my house today, it's going to take 30 to 45 days to close then people will start using that comparable sale in, in 30 to 45 days. The houses around it might not sell for a similar price for six months to a year. And then they just start to pile all this data on. The data you know, that makes sense. Is, is the way I look at it. The only thing that makes it more abrupt than that, Jordan, and I agree with you, is if there's a credit uh, crisis going on at the same time, then hmm. but we don't have one of those built in, even with tapering, we're not, no one's talking about a credit problem. Um, so without a credit problem, you're right. You get that very elongated uh, motion going through the real estate market in particular. Sure. So obviously, Brian, you're bullish on Austin and Dallas and you're bullish on real estate. What types of real estate investments would you recommend people look at? in the Austin, Dallas area. Of course, everybody loves income producing real estate, but 
are there any sectors in the market that you're not a big fan of right now? Retail well, I prefer, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, and maybe this isn't where you're going, but I'm much, I lean much more heavily into the residential income producing market rather than the non-res market. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean you can't make money in the non-res. It's just, you got to be that much smarter from, from my vantage in the non-res market. Um, clearly, office space isn't where you want to go, even with everything that you just talked about. Um, there's just more toxicity in that market with the distributed workforce, et cetera. You just got to pick and choose your battles uh, very carefully. It's always location. But to me, it's it's easier to go into multifamily or single family rentable property. Um, given the demographics, um, that's my go-to, that's my default more on the, than on the non-residential side. The non-residential side is also where you're gonna see a lot more, not more, deeper pain from business cycle decline than you will on the residential side and even in the Austin market. Now, there may be more upside, but the beta, in other words, for the non-res market, I think is stronger than it is in the residential market. Okay. So just to recap real quickly, you're saying the residential housing space, whether it's multifamily or single family, is probably going to fare better in this late 2020s shift that we were talking about earlier, in your opinion? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because people have to live somewhere. Of course, um, businesses go out of business and they don't need to live somewhere anymore. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Right. And you mentioned Tesla, and Tesla is an amazing company. But I mean, look, I mean, you, I'm sure you've looked at it, Jordan, and I'm sure it's been splashed all over the papers. The market cap for Tesla is insane, right? And companies that live with that sort of insanity, there's usually a price to be paid for that down the road, uh, which is probably a bad pun considering we're talking about Tesla. But, um, you know, the, the financing can. Uh, shifts swiftly under certain circumstances like that. We started in the dot-com craziness also. You know, it happens. Mm -hmm. And in blink of an eye, you know, the high-tech firms were, were gone. Blink of an eye being like five years, they were, they were gone. Um, that's, again, why I like the residential more than the non-residential. Yeah, the slow and boring. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess that describes me, Jordan. I'm slow and boring. <laughs> well, speaking of you, Brian, what's next for you? You've been with ITR as the CEO and chief economist since 1987. Uh, you've got a lot of experience doing what you're doing. Well, it sounds like you're still traveling a lot. You said you're coming to Austin twice in the next couple of weeks for yeah, different speaking um, engagements. I am traveling a lot. We're, we're all of us, the entire speaker team at ITR is back to uh, hitting the road hard. What's next for me is over the course of 22 and 23, um, I will be transitioning the mantle of chief economist over to our vice president of economics. Her name is Jackie Green. Mm -hmm. She already knows a lot of what's in this head of mine, uh, and she's really, really good. And she'll 
take over that chief economist mantle. I'll stay on as CEO, but uh, I intend to play more, travel less, and uh, let the next generation really pick up the mantle and run with it. Well, you've left a good path for them. That's certain there. No, thank uh, you. So you I, I know you read a lot. Do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? <laughs> yeah, self-serving. I think uh, people, if they haven't already, they should read the book that my brother and I authored uh, from ITR Economics called Prosperity in the Age of Decline. And it speaks to a lot of the things that you and I just went over, Jordan. Um, but if moving away from prosperity in the age of decline, uh, one of the books that has really transformed my business, and if you're in real estate, you should be running a business, right? Think of, uh, well, not think of, get the book called Traction by Gino Wickman. Love it. Uh, it's, it's a really good business methodology. Um, and it has made a big difference even at ITR Economics. So that's that's the business book that I strongly recommend. Do do you run any parts of ITR off any of their system, Traxon's uh, EOS system? Uh, we are on EOS. We have our own EOS, but we have the meeting pulses. We do the VTO. We have the we process the issues based on IDS. Uh, our people are. Um, Coming in the door, if you if you don't align with our core value, core values, then we're not going to even invite you to be part of the team. And sometimes people can fool you, right? And they still manage to get on into your team, but it's pretty quickly obvious that they they were just selling themselves and they don't align with your core values, whatever they happen to be. And without that alignment, you're not going to get the uh, the team chemistry that you really need. You know, the best teams, whether it's business like mine or, or, or a sports team, when they like each other and trust each other, then they're going to be not only a good team, they're going to be a great team and do more than the other person is going to do. And it all starts by having the same shared values. And you go from there. And then we always look at our people with the, the GWC of traction, which is get it, want it, capable. And if they don't get it, they don't want it, if they're not capable for whatever reason, then we either have to find them another seat on the bus, to use Jim Collins' expression, or we have to encourage them to find a better fit for themselves rather than stay stuck in a miserable job at ITR Economics. I learned a long time ago from um, the Vistage organization, you never get mad at yourself for firing somebody too quickly. Usually you get mad because you waited too long to uh, ask them to leave. Um, be very slow to hire and very quick to fire is uh, good advice that has always stayed with me. The other one is for people that are running investment businesses, um, always hire people smarter than yourself. I have done that my entire business career. Always hire people smarter than yourself. My, now, my twin brother says, in my case, that's not so hard to do, but um, maybe it is for people like you, Jordan. Um, have enough confidence that you can hire people smarter than yourself. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Uh, hire slow, fire fast is 
it's been a huge, huge thing in my business. And I've absolutely violated that several times and paid for it dearly. So, yeah. Isn't that amazing how we all do it? Cause we think we can save somebody or we rationalize it somehow. Oh, it's, it's not easy to fire someone for anybody listening. that's never hired employees, hired and fired. Um, hiring is the re- relatively easy part. Mm. If you do it wrong, if you do it right, it's a lot of work, but firing them is, is not easy at all. Nope. Brian, how can people get a hold of you? And what's the best? I know you have a few books, correct? So you have a uh, prevention in the age of decline. Am I missing one there? We have Prosperity in the Age of Decline. Prosperity. Then our first, first book was Make Your Move, How to Prosper Through the Different Phases of the Business Cycle. And our third book was a children's book called But I Want It. And it's our first foray into children's literature with economics. Just really teaching, trying to teach the kids the, the virtue of saving money, not spending all of your money. Uh, we wrote it for early readers, hoping Congress would pick it up and understand the words, but uh, it doesn't seem to have worked so far. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have all, all of your info, how to best get a hold of you. ITR Economics is pretty easy to find. That's it. ITREconomics.com. Mm-hmm. And if you just put in uh, ITR or ITR Economics, you'll find multiple pages of uh, ways to get in touch with us. Awesome. Last question here, Brian. One of the most important we ask on this podcast is what is your favorite restaurant here in Austin? I don't know that I have a favorite. I haven't sampled enough. You know, sample size matters, right, Jordan? But uh, I hear that Rudy's Barbecue is phenomenal. And uh, and it comes from a very reputable source. So I guess Rudy's for me. Yeah. Look me up next time you're in town. I'd love to go with you. Um, Real quick before I let you go, Brian. So just to recap, what, what are your thoughts about buying investment property that makes sense here in Austin? Um, my thoughts are do it tomorrow because it's getting late in the day today, um, but get, get her done and enjoy the ride. And um, you're not going to be sorry. The only way you're going to be sorry is if you don't do it. Then you'll become one of the woulda, coulda, shouldas. We we're going to say, oh, man, I could have bought it back there in 2021 or 2022. Why didn't I? Don't be one of those people. Make the move now. Love it. Yeah, It's so easy to think, oh, it's too late. I should have done it then. But then 10 years later, I'm going to say, well, I should have done it in 2021. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you so much for coming on here today, Brian. Again, for anybody listening, we'll have Brian's info in the show notes, but just look up ITR Economics and you'll be able to find him. His three books are the best way to learn more about what he does. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Nice being with you.